name is Jared Anderson. This is a podcast about consciousness and transformation, where we explore the nature of consciousness and how we as humans transform. I speak with teachers, coaches, mystics, authors, and others in the transformational space. These conversations are designed to support your own growth and evolution. Welcome. We're live with Diet, my friend. She just wrote a new book, The Secrets of Melchizedek. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. Diet, I'm so sorry. Tell me how to say your last name again. Arvanitas. Arvanitas. That's right. So she had me on her podcast. When was that? A year ago or something? It's been well, a while. Yeah. So I had you on twice. It was when I first started and then kind of toward the end, right? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So she was raised uh, in the LDS church and so was I, and we connected over some of those issues and we're here to talk again about it. I ended up reading her book and I was blown away. It was so deep, very well researched and just absolutely brilliant. And it just speaks to your brilliance and I'm very, very excited to jump in. And so I thought that we might start with you telling us about your Mormon story. What You want to jump in there? Yeah. So my upbringing was a little bit different because my dad came from like the pioneer background a little bit. So he was really strict and his dad was like in the military. So like he was very like, I guess more the typical Mormon. He was raised in Utah. Uh, My mom was raised partially in California and then in Utah, but she was a convert. So she converted when she was like 17 and her upbringing was, you know, drug addicts and really chaotic. So I kind of got like both worlds. Hmm. Yeah. So like eventually, so I was a good kid. I went to high school, fine, you know, everything. And then I went to BYU and it felt, so being raised in Arizona, the church felt a little bit more free. I had Mm -hmm. kids in the neighborhood that weren't Mormon that I played with most of the time. I didn't really have a lot of Mormon friends. My mom was really open-minded, but then coming to BYU it just felt like I felt it all like suppression. I wasn't treated very well at all. I feel like from my perception, being a woman, there were things like, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go to med school. I wasn't sure if that was something I wanted. So we went to like a, an introduction on like how that would look. So there was a big like meeting about it. And the guy that was talking was like, okay, before I begin, I just want to mention that the women that are here, I want you to really think if this is something that you'd be interested in, because once I get started on the commitment, you have to know that you're going to be in the home and the family. So like, it it was kind of like this undertone of like, that's more important. And the things I'm going to talk about is, is a very highly committed education. So just keep that in mind, basically. And so he singled out like a group of us before he even started, which I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I shouldn't even be here. Like I was so discouraged from it. And that kind of stuff happened like all the time at BYU. There was one class where I actually took gender issues and we were bringing up all the stuff like, what about this with women? And what about this? And I remember the professor saying like, all I can say to that is the church is true. And so we weren't even. We were not even able to have a discussion at a university. And so it was really hard for me. I was really like culture shocked a little bit because my parents were pretty open-minded and and I wasn't really used to the Utah culture. It was just, I mean, we had every Wednesday, the whole school shut down between, I think it was like 12 to two. And we all had to go to 
like a fireside and listen to talks and mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff. And we'd all take notes and people would ask like, why weren't you there? Um, they would always ask if I wasn't at church or, you know, like it's just, it's on steroids basically. Yeah. yeah. So what happened was after I graduated, I felt just really lost and I felt like my sexuality was really suppressed and shamed mm-hmm. and like all those things. And so I ended up, dating a guy that was just a newly convert, but he had, you know, slept with people and was came from like a pretty open past. And I ended up getting pregnant shortly after us dating. And that really, I think, started a lot of like going into my deeper work of just all the shame that came from, you know, that patriarchal system. My mom was like, there's no way that you're going to get married to this guy. And there's no way that you're going to be a single mom. Like that is horrible. My dad at the time was like, we need to go to the bishop and the stake president because I don't know what to do with this. And so when I went, actually, and I didn't say this in the book, but when I went to the stake president, you know, I was, you know, told him my story. I'm pregnant. I'm not, we don't want to get married. It was, you know, this is a mistake. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay, lady. But uh, he took me over to this painting and there was a woman there with like this red cloak. And uh-huh. he was like, why do you think she's wearing red? I was like, I don't know. I think because she sinned, you know, and he was like, that's right. So that's what he left me with as kind of also part of the priesthood blessing that came with that meeting. But that's been a little bit ingrained in my mind. And I've been trying to find that painting ever since. And I can't find it, but it's a pretty notorious painting of a woman in red, just like sitting there that was in his office. But anyway, so I ended up uh, deciding to keep my baby, which I really wasn't sure. My parents actually found a nice couple in the ward that had been trying to have a child mm-hmm. and they couldn't. And so they like offered me to like adopt my baby. To them. And I mean, like I liked them. So it wasn't yeah. weird, like, but at the same right. time I was like, Hey, can I make a decision for myself? Like my whole body has been totally yeah. like shamed and compromised. And it was a very difficult. Like my mom wow. was so angry. But uh needless to say, I had the baby and I ended up meeting my husband, who is like, well, he's just a really good Mormon guy. Like uh, he was just he's just that like nice kind of yeah. You know, he's yeah. from Utah, that small town Utah, like nice mm-hmm. guy. And then it kind of put me back into that patriarchal system. And I got really depressed and I yeah. got really like, what is going on? And I guess, you know, in a way to make up for a lot of that shame and a lot of that guilt and having a child the way I did, I was like, okay, we're going to get married in the temple and we're going to go to church and Mm -hmm. repent and like atone for all these things that I've done because now I have a kid that I've brought into this mess. Right. And And how old were you at the time? At the time, uh, like when I got married or had had my child? Both. Yeah. So I was 22 when I had my son and then closer to 24 when I got married, but it was like 23. Got it. So yeah, I was just, I was trying to do all the good things, but I was like, so miserable. Like mm. I was so, we had like callings and we're just like there every Sunday. And yeah, I was just so miserable. I, I got very suicidal. Um, mm-hmm. I'm like, what is going on? 
And that's when I decided it was kind of similar to your story where I had this like really deep feeling like I need to leave the church. Hmm. And I don't know why that was connected to everything that I had experienced. It was like, you know, you need to leave the church. And at the time too, um, I was starting to kind of get uncomfortable with things because they were coming out with like gay marriage. Yeah. The church was adamantly against it. And we were having meetings like at church to like, vote against it and like to be very vocal right against it and i was kind of like like i have kids like they could they could be gay you know yeah. like i don't know it just it didn't bother me and it bothered me that that my will was getting pushed back against me mm-hmm. again to like conform to something that i didn't believe in yeah how strong did your testimony get when you were really fully in before you started to have these doubts how strong did my testimony get I feel like it was fairly strong when my husband and I got married because we went through some things where we would pray together and we would really come together as like a couple. Mm -hmm. And we had a lot of like synchronistic type of things that like really paved the way for us. So at the time I was like, this is what God wants. This is what like Heavenly Father wants for our family. And then when I started to challenge that, it really started to break down some of that testimony stuff that was built if that makes sense. It does. It does. So. Oh, it's like, do you want to leave this meeting? (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. I'll just download the thing from Facebook. I've done this before. So how long, so your, your testimony was there. It was like very much in place. And then you started to have these doubts and some of the issues started to come out with gay marriage and some of that stuff where you felt like your preferences were kind of pushed aside. You were kind of bumping up and there was some contradictions between what you were feeling and believing versus what the church was saying. So you were beginning to start to talk about like having a stronger and stronger belief. Like, I think I need to leave. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So, so my husband was stepping back from like priesthood meetings and church and stuff. Like we'd we'd be the couple that would go to sacrament but he would kind of be like, oh, we feel like going to you know Sunday school or whatever. So I'm like, just, just don't go, you know, it's yeah. fine. And but then when I said I actually wanted to leave the church, like remove my records and like kind of be done, he was mm-hmm. like, whoa, what does this mean for like our eternal marriage and the mm-hmm. temple and like all this stuff? And I was just like, at the time, I didn't really care. I didn't think mm-hmm. about that. I was like if my heart is making me feel like a lot of these things are not me, then why would it matter if I'm married to it for eternity? You know, like it felt weird. And so I kind of was like, I think a lot of people go through different guilt with like the temple marriage and like their partner. But I, at the time just didn't really have that guilt. I had more guilt staying in the church and kind of like teaching my kids things that I just knew was like, not really Mm. I wanted to raise it with. I remember even like driving in the car and like one of my kids was like, what did he say? He, he asked a question and I regurgitated what was taught in Sunday school. And I was like, that sounds so stupid. I'm like, don't. And then after I was like, what I just said doesn't make any sense. Please don't call me that. Wow. And so, yeah, I realized like, what am I doing? Like, this doesn't make any sense for my own, like, parenting style and so that felt more guilty than leaving when i'm when i finally decided to leave it felt like a relief and i felt like i shouldn't kill myself over it Hmm. 
how challenge, how difficult was it? You know, a lot of people, it's really, really, really tough. And there's a ton of issues that come up. How tough was your separation? I think that it was a little bit like my husband had to hide it. So mm-hmm. it felt a little bit like I was the black sheep and a little bit kind of shameful because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to go to the temple uh, marriages that my husband's family was, you know, doing at the time. And I had a lot of family members that were like, you know, my mom was like, you just need to get back to the temple and that will help you feel that testimony again. And I was just, that didn't feel right at all. I do know that like there was when I did make the decision to leave, there was a wave of like deep shame from God of Mm. like, am I betraying heavenly father, you Mm -hmm. know, by leaving his church? I remember feeling that, but then it kind of didn't last as long as I would have suspected Yeah, because there was like, I guess maybe a knowing that like heavenly father loves, you know, all the children, all the things. So it just felt like, okay, I would be fine. But um, yeah, there was definitely a lot of shame and disappointment. And in fact, like my husband's family is still very active and we were at like a family thing and fairly recently. And I remember, what did I say? I said something like, well, the temple has a lot of like magical rituals and it's kind of cultish, you Mm -hmm. know, just kind of a little casual, like nothing too assertive. Yeah. And I remember, no, what I said was I was like, I was talking about magical rituals and cults just in general, not even Mm -hmm. in relation to the Mormon church. Mm -hmm. And one of his sisters, it's like very Mormon. He was like, yeah, I'm so glad the Mormon church doesn't have anything to do with that. And I was just like, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, it's, it's just that naivety and blind trust that I think I realized was okay to leave. Mm. Got it. Got it. So I'm starting to see kind of the outlines of your book, which we haven't gone into, but I've read it. So I, I understand, but I'm starting to see like the, the seeds of that, right. Where there was a lot of you and your own intuition, your own feeling set, your own knowing that was going against this patriarchal system. And so, yeah, how do we transit? Well, is there anything else to say about your Mormon experience before we kind of move a little bit more into the book? I mean, I don't want to go in too many specifics, but like, I feel like BYU really drove home that men are superior in every way, like patriarchy Mm -hmm. rules. Like I was like, I mean, I remember sitting at one of the dorms and like the new guys from their mission walked in and they were like, where are you guys from? And I told them where I was from and they were like, oh yeah, there's a good crop of women from there, you know, and they were kind of like it was more like objectifying, like, oh yeah, you you know, all this stuff. And so like, it was just continually programmed that like women are just to have kids. They are just Mm -hmm. to be pretty. If you are at BYU, you should be a teacher or, you know, like these specific degrees, which I didn't want to do. So I was constantly, you know, butted up against a lot of that patriarchal themes. Mm. Yeah. Got it. I notice, you know, a lot of my hesitation to talk about this. My family, a lot of large portion of my family is still LDS. The community they have is still LDS. And in a lot of ways, I still feel a lot of respect for the church. And I work with men who've left the church. I work with a lot of people who've left the church. And a large part of my community is working and supporting with, with people who've separated. 
And so I am on the front lines of seeing the harm that the Mormon church does. And so I'm in this unique position where I have to walk this balance because I really do have respect for the church and I have respect for people who've left the church. I have no issues with either. And there's a lot of harm that the church does do to people. And I'm not saying that because I'm anti-Mormon. I'm not saying that in hopes of bringing down the church. I'm saying that because I literally hear the harm that the church causes. I felt it personally myself, and I feel it from all these people that are experiencing it them as well. And I also see a lot of harm that people who have left the church then throw back at members on the church. So everybody right now is in a toxic environment where there's a lot of harm being caused from one another. And so I notice when I get in conversations like this, my main goal in all of these conversations is how do we reduce harm? How do we reduce the amount that the church harms people? And how do we reduce the amount that people who have left harm members still left in the church and the church itself? And so a lot of what you're talking about with critiquing the patriarchy, I think, is a major part of the harm that the church causes and these inherent power structures. And so I was really, really inspired by your notion that women have just as much access to what the priesthood claims to give people as men do. I very much hold that position myself. And so with all that set up and with all that in mind, let's jump into to a little bit about your book and a little bit about your ideas of women in the in the priesthood, shall we? Great. You know, I don't have a strong stance on if women should hold a priesthood in the Mormon church. Mm. I'm not what like what's her name? Kat. Kate Kelly. I didn't want to advocate for that when she kind of was in that. I was kind of like, I don't know. Because that let's set that up for anyone that's listening really quick. So for anyone who's listening, Kate Kelly is a member of the, the church who one of the features that the church has, which I think is a great feature, is that they have revelatory power, that the church receives revelation from the divine, and that therefore the divine will reveal certain new truths or doctrines or anything that so it gives the church a certain capacity to evolve. And Kate Kelly she led an organization called Ordain Women. And what that meant was she she just asked the church leadership at the prophet to please pray whether or not they could receive revelation for women to receive the priesthood, right? That was all she was asking for. She wasn't saying they need to. She wasn't demanding that. She wasn't doing anything else. She was just asking the prophet to pray for that. And then the church ended up actually excommunicating her for that. So it was... Yeah, it was fairly sad from in, from my perspective. I, I was I was really disappointed and saddened by that. But that was the story of Kate Kelly. So, yeah, I don't know that I take the stance on advocating women to join the Mormon Melchizedek priesthood ordinances just to make mm-hmm. just to like you know identify with that. I I feel like what what happened with me is I took a step back from everything. Mormon after leaving. And I did a lot of research into like ancient civilizations before Catholicism, before, you know, empire building. And there was still some hints of like spiritual cult dynamics, cult, not like we know it today with brainwashing, but actual like coming together as a spiritual community with a common goal, common um, desire and worshiping something. 
mm-hmm. uh, without the religious dynamic and dogmatic principles behind it kind of thing. And a lot of that had like female priestesses and they also really attributed feminine to have sort of um, like her body being a natural portal to divine because she's so in tune with, I guess the bodies build differently, right? You, I think mm-hmm. you mentioned like men have a little bit more of a dense yeah. um, essence to their body type where women, I think, have a natural channeling capacity to divine energy mm-hmm. and especially to nature. And so going back into like a lot of these nature cults and spiritual stuff, there were common symbols that were used for those ancient ancestors. And eventually those symbols developed into like the priesthoods. And further down our linear time period, when you have the dominance of father God over goddess, that was taken over by just males and females were not able to have those priesthood ordinances. But the funny thing is, is like, if you think about it, we're still connected to that energy. Like we're still a part of sure. the priesthoods. Like we all know what that means. Or to be told that you don't actually have that power though is very demeaning. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't let you understand what that actually means. Because what it actually is, is like your divine essence to connect into something greater in a physical body is, yeah. is all that it really is. And yeah. so, yeah, that's just my stance. Like, I, I guess I advocate a little bit more about like if the church system is not working for your soul then I advocate leaving and understanding what these ancient priesthoods mean on a deep soul level so that you can reclaim some of those old truths instead of coming back into something that's been distorted over time anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. Thanks for the clarification. And your book is very much, I mean, it's not a long book. It's what, 65 pages, something along those lines. So. No, and when I was writing it, I was like, wow, this is like so much. And then I put it in a book and I was like, this is like a pamphlet. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was, I mean, there was a lot to it. It went pretty deep and I could tell the research that you had done was, yeah, it was really well researched. You were mentioning about anyone that's been harmed by the priesthood. Hopefully that your book could actually stand as a resource to support, especially women who've been harmed by the priesthood, but really I think it would be anyone. So can you speak to that for a minute? Yeah. So the book is like just about where ancient priesthood symbolism kind of comes from before Mm -hmm. Catholic and Mormonism and all that stuff. So to reclaim that, but when you kind of go back into history, aside from priesthood, what you see is like there were old agricultural societies. And a lot of that was attributed to goddess energy because it was tied to mother earth, mother Mm -hmm, earth plus mm -hmm. feminine. And um, there was a lot of rebirth and new growth in all of mother earth cycles. Yeah. And then throughout history, you have sort of like warrior tribes coming in and dominating different agricultural areas and creating, you know, like kingdoms and different like structures and that's when like the goddess was taken over by like the dominance of the gods so instead of like all these little fertility goddesses and mother earth and like everything's connected and life is universal you now have like zeus raping the fertility goddesses marrying all the women and taking that like it is his now and he is god Mm. so 
the system then kind of like transformed to the father God rules everything. And then that transferred over into families and the patriarchal system. And then it kind of also integrates into the idea that like men claimed ownership of private property. And so then it went into like monogamous marriage so that they can make sure that their offspring was inherited by the rightful heirs, not women weren't like sleeping around basically and they yeah. were taking on others' children. So then that further suppressed women. And so like, I guess when I say like, what are these injuries? It's like this whole long line of like ancestral history of all these things of patriarchy and the father being the head of the household. And that was done, I think, to create order and to create like a safe system for the next offspring to like feel like they could thrive in. But it really damaged the goddess and femininity, because it was really like mother earth is not to be worshiped. She's to be conquered. Right. And like the seasons are not something to welcome and they're scary. Like the rains can be something given and taken. And it's Mm -hmm. something that's like more harmful. Whereas God is like the savior. He Mm. brings in like all the good things and all the great stuff. So do you see these dynamics of like the goddess being really demonized as like, chaos and like you know too much energy Mm. and all this stuff and then god comes in and like creates form with that and so i think we've lost sort of like what those archetypes even mean for us so the mormon church obviously is no different than other religions that are just trying to create an Mm -hmm. order based on that patriarchal system and like it's so hard because like like i said like my husband is pretty patriarchal, even though like he's opened his mind a lot, just being married to me. But I can see that like, he doesn't have an identity unless it's patriarchal. Mm. Like men don't know, well, if this is not what I'm here for to to dominate what the chaos is, then why am I even here? Right. Women are like, well, if I'm not here to have children or to help facilitate the next offspring, then why am I here? You know, like, And then we see women taking over the masculine role of, well, then I'm going to just get a job and I'm going to have my own like order. But then it doesn't really like bring back what we lost, you know, like it doesn't. I'm so glad you mentioned that, that, that so often today in this modern version of feminism, what that means is women doing what I would say is masculine jobs. Like I'm all about equal opportunity the way I'm experiencing this, and I'm very curious how you are, is that the feminine is on the rise. And what that means to me are these primordial feminine energies, which is chaos, which is primal embodied connection to wild nature and to this beautiful, amazing planet. And it is the chaotic expressions of the feminine. That to me is what is exciting. And that to me, I'm noticing is terrifying the shit out of most of men in society. They're like, I don't know what to do with this. Yeah. Yeah. To me, my work is like, you guys don't understand how awesome this is, but it's it it from a man, a male's perspective, or not even male, I should say the masculine's perspective. And masculine energy has to raise its 
uh, strength to hold that much energy of, of power that's coming. Like, cause there's a lot there and it's a wild, amazing ride, but it does require us to meet it. And I don't feel like we're getting very good exemplars and leaders to show us both how to have this wild, feminine, amazing kind of expression. And also to have, how to have this masculine container to hold that. Mm-hmm. So I love that you said that if you didn't agree with anything or you had anything about that, I would love to hear your perspective on this as well. No, I mean, a lot of this healing that I've done, I've done in my own inner masculine feminine side and having Mm -hmm. a father that's very patriarchal and militant and a mom that's very chaotic. I feel like I'm in this inner battle with myself because there's a part of me that like wants to just tattoo my whole body and like experience what that's like, you know, Mm. my mom's whole family has like tattoos all over and stuff. So I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, what is that? And like, what is, what is all this chaotic energy that kind of came from my mom's side? Not saying that that's feminine. I'm just saying like this idea of less order and this ability to express yourself is is a lot of what my mom came from. It's a very expressive and emotionally outburst. And that is scary to me because, you know, I was raised with that polarity and then my dad had no emotion mm-hmm. and it was like, mm-hmm. okay, we've got to contain this. And so I've had to really figure yeah. out well, what does that mean for me? And I think like you've said, like being wild in nature is something very inherent in all of us. Like we need mother earth. We need to take care of her. And that is, that is goddess energy and to dominate it. Like what is up with, private land. It seems kind of like a funny thing I've been looking at because my husband and I have a huge house on land, Yeah, but I sit alone all day in my house and my husband comes home from work and then we sit alone and stare at each other. Yeah. And I'm kind of like, what's the point of private property if we're not communally sharing any right. of this? And I think that's where the goddess comes in is like, this land is for everybody. However, that's going to look you know, how we organize it would be my masculine side, obviously, but sure. um, it is, it's, it's really scary, especially like thinking like, what would it look like to start to break down some of those barriers that we've put up to protect ourselves? And mm-hmm. I remember like, I've been doing these like dance therapies and we kind of oscillate from like staccato type dance. Mm-hmm. And then we go into like chaotic dance where like you can basically move however you want. And like, yeah. and that feels so much better. Yeah. Like it feels like we want to do that. Yeah, totally. Because we're naturally, we're naturally in more of a patriarchal order type of society. So there will be order. There yeah. will be order for us no matter what. But to mm-hmm. feel like we can break out, I think will help even contain us a little more. Does that make sense? It does. And a huge piece that's missing in a lot of the work that I do is embodiment work, which is the feminine, right? When we're embodied, we're in our feminine essence and the body's expression. I mean, there's something that it's beyond this. I love your chaos and order because I agree with that description of the two energies. And look, for anyone who's like, what do we mean by all this masculine and feminine? Here's what I would say about that. It's not something you're going to learn in a day. I've been studying it pretty deeply now for five, six years, and I'm beginning to like get an okay grasp on it, but I'm nowhere near a master. This, What these two energies are, the wisdom traditions speak about them 
all over the place. I mean, the yin and the yang, Shiva and Shakti, Alpha and Omega, they're, they're in all of our wisdom traditions and we speak about them, but these, these energies are, I agree with you that they've been very much dominated by culture and by society. I think I heard Ken Wilber, I think I'm, we might've mentioned this the last time we talked, but I think Ken Wilber ascribes a lot of the masculine gods to when the plow was invented. Once women were very much involved in raising food, but then when the plow was invented, any woman running a plow, birth rates decreased by a dramatic amount. And I think the, what was it? Anyway, it's like 90% of women who were pregnant during the time they were using used a plow would lose their children. So it's just, you saw this dramatic shift in our deification kind of symbols and, and theologies. Anyway, point is, is, you know, what we're seeing now is this dramatic shift again in culture, like, holy cow, there's so much changing on the planet right now. And there is this new rise of the feminine and it's extraordinarily exciting. And I think it's causing a lot of tension and like, it's causing a lot of tension because you have a lot of these patriarchal systems, such as the Mormon church that are really struggling to like, how do we navigate and reorient And what I am noticing is that there's pretty much just a doubling down. Like we're not going to change. We're not going to adapt or evolve. This is the way it is. This is the right, correct path. And I don't judge anyone for that. If that's the way you choose, that's okay. And what I try to encourage my LDS friends to do is, again, somehow lessen the harm for people who they can't worship in that prescribed way, such as yourself. It just doesn't work for a lot of people like that. It doesn't work for the LGBT community. Yeah. And so where do we go from here in this conversation? The journey of masculine and feminine does express itself outwardly with people's personalities, but I feel like a lot of it is an inward journey Hmm. because I, like, I can't rely on masculine patriarchal systems to give me order. I can't rely on the government entirely to support, keep me safe and all that stuff. Like that's, we're learning now that, and and that's what my parents' generation did. They put full trust in the church for my dad to send me to the Bishop after getting pregnant without even like knowing what to do. That was like, someone else has the power, you know? And that's the same. I feel like that's the same with like the governments and banks and all of that. They had the power, they were the structure. And now it's kind of like, well, how can I create safety? Like, what if everything blows up? How can I still feel safe in myself? That's my masculine. My masculine knows that like my life is still my life and whatever that is. And I don't know where things will go. Cause like a part of me is like, like with the rise of this, the goddess coming back to let everyone know based on what I've read, like when they had the goddess culture, there was no God because goddess was life and rebirth. So Mm -hmm. everything was just through her womb. It was death and birth and re. And so it wasn't like you had a dual masculine feminine. It was goddess was the birth channel of God and goddess, you know, Hmm. there when you had the dominant warrior tribes, they split it to be, the masculine does this and it dominates over the feminine. Yeah. So if we can come back to like a unification that like, just because there's a rise of goddess doesn't mean she's dominating God. Mm. It's we're trying to unify and partner up with that balance. 
And I don't know how that's going to look with the patriarchal systems. I honestly feel like a lot of people are going to want more vulnerability. They're going to want less black and white. This is the rule. And they're going to want a little bit more like realness because yeah. that's, that to me is balance. And so, yeah, I don't know. It'd be interesting. I always found it interesting that Shiva and Shakti are always represented as dancing, right? Where then you have the Christian versions of God, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost. And and I always wondered, like, why did we turn mom into the Holy Ghost? Like, what is that? Why? <laughs> That's so weird. Why? It, 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 it just speaks to the patriarchal culture of Christianity. Because it's such, it very much is a male-dominated religious community. And there's there's a lot of churches now, like the Unitarians, that are trying to change things, but it's pretty entrenched in the in the male-dominated aspects of that church. So and now you're looking at like thousands and thousands of years. And the hard thing is, is when we developed writing, a lot of that was after the goddess culture was kind of starting to be wiped out. And so your writing is about the male dominating over different tribes, different Mm -hmm. warrior tribes coming in. And so like, we don't have a lot of written records or anything that we can really talk about with how goddess culture worked. And it wasn't, there's a, there's evidence that says though, it wasn't patriarchal and it wasn't matriarchal. It was just that everything was unified everything was part of the stars everything was part of the ground and it was like this energy of portal energy and they used the goddess symbol i say as like because the female body is has the womb right it wasn't like they worship females it was just that she represented earth and the cosmo and so she was that energy but everyone was like partners everyone was like equal yeah we are experiencing, in my opinion, the end point of this philosophy, of this separation philosophy, this separation ideal. And if we don't change, we will die. That's not hyperbole. It's legitimate. If we don't start to understand that the Amazon is our lungs, it's literally our external lungs, we will continue this suicide cycle that we're in right now. We are going to die and our capacity to be on this planet is coming to an end. And people can deny that. And there's a lot of people that are denying that, but it's getting harder and harder to deny that reality. And it goes beyond that. Not just is the Amazon our lungs, but Republicans and Democrats are in the same family in America. We think we're like trying to separate apart and that we're actually going to achieve something through this fighting kind of mentality in politics. We're not. We're all on the same team. We're all in the same family, but it goes beyond America. A Mexican is absolutely my it, part of my human family as well. And what I really know... if understanding on a deeper level more and more that I grow and gain a little wisdom is that when someone is suffering in North Korea, when someone is suffering on the streets of LA or wherever it is, I suffer too. We are all interconnected. When I am attacking someone, I'm attacking myself. 
there is a version of interconnectedness. And the trick that our ego tells us is that we are separate, but we're not. And it's this strange, strange function because we're so attached to our heads and our thoughts that helps reinforce this notion of separation. So much of the work that I do, the more embodied I get, the more empathy that I try to strengthen with the people that I work with, really help to break down these barriers of me and other. And it's, I'm in very, I wouldn't call it in a nascent stage, but you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in where I'm at. I'm, I'm in my certain process, but I am seeing more and more and more that literally that we are coming to the end of this notion of separation. And if we don't, we will face some harsh realities that are coming to uh, manifest. They're already manifesting and they will just continue to increase. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what will happen in my lifetime, but I kind of anticipate that there will continue to be a push for balance because I don't think anything in nature wants to be dominated. I think there is a natural desire for all creativity, all creative life to want to be balanced. So the more the, the masculine and patriarchy dominates, the more the the feminine side has to rise up, whether that's through men or women, whoever's taking more of right. that um, opposition. Yeah. And hopefully, like when you look at energy, hopefully the patriarchal side doesn't push down too much because then we have to really push back. And that could look aggressive and volatile and extreme just to counteract that. Yeah. But if they can bend a little bit, you know, that opposite side can be normal. <laughs> Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to be hippies in the wilderness. Like we could actually be operative people in society without having to be so extreme just to balance some of that energy out. Yeah. I love that. I definitely love that. So yeah. Do you have anything else you want to touch on before we start to wrap this thing down? No, I guess I would just reiterate that like, you know, everyone inside has a masculine and feminine energy and women have been told to take their feminine energy. Men have been told to take their masculine energy. And like Jared said, like we're coming out of that and we're finding balance, I think, within our individual selves. Mm-hmm. So we know how to not be separate externally. Yeah. You know, like where's that unification within myself to try to get that with everybody else? I don't know. I haven't thought about this too much, but I get the sense that something is going on with the rise of the amount of transgendered people there are. There's something going on in the realm of gender. It's showing up in the in the uh, world of gender, but I feel like it's this these energies that are getting tossed around and we're feeling more masculine and feminine within ourselves and in the collective and the barriers. And like, if you're a man, you're masculine. And if you're a woman, you're feminine. I feel like that's, we're st- seeing some fluctuation in the human system that's that's emerging and it'll be interesting to see where that goes so yeah can you tell people if they want to get your book where they would get it so i have it on amazon and it's called secrets of the mormon melchizedek and i guess we could put a link maybe yeah we'll put a link the other way i would know sure sure well, thanks, Dia. Like I said, I really enjoyed reading the book. It was awesome. I love what you have to bring to this conversation. And thank you so much for coming on today. Yeah, you're welcome, Jared. Good thanks. to talk to you. You too. Thanks for listening. 
If you're interested in this topic and would like to explore it more, you can contact me at jared at jaredandersoncoaching.com, spelled J-A-R-E-D and Anderson with an O. You can also check me out at jaredandersoncoaching.com, where you can book a free discovery session and see what coaching might do for you. I also welcome feedback, so don't hesitate to send me an email with your thoughts on the podcast. And finally, I would invite you to rate and review this podcast. Once again, thanks for listening. Thank you.